Hi, I'm Paul Jay, and welcome to the Analysis.News podcast. The Cuban people have been extraordinarily resilient in the face of sanctions by the United States and the COVID-19 crisis. Even before the pandemic, as a result of Trump's sanctions, tourism a year ago was already down by 23%. Now it's at a standstill. Yet Cuba not only continues to deal with the COVID crisis, but is even sending doctors to other countries to help with their emergencies. But that doesn't mean life isn't very difficult for the Cuban people. A group of experts from the United Nations issued a statement on April 30th calling on the United States to lift sanctions against Cuba. Statement says, we urge the U.S. government to withdraw measures aimed at establishing trade barriers and ban tariffs, quotas, non-tariff measures, including those which prevent financing the purchase of medicine, medical equipment, food, and other essential goods. In spite of the pandemic emergency, the lack of will of the U.S. government to suspend sanctions may lead to a higher risk of such suffering in Cuba and other countries targeted by its sanctions, the experts said. Bringing the virus under control can only be achieved through joint efforts by all states and international organizations in a spirit of multilateralism, cooperation, and solidarity, they said. In the face of such global challenge, no one should be denied vital medical care. Joining us now is James Early. He's a former Assistant Secretary, Education and Public Service at the Smithsonian Institute. He's worked with Cuban civil society and government, and he's met with Cuban President Miguel Diaz-Canel last July during a visit to the Cuban School of Medicine. Thanks for joining us, James. Thank you for having me. So, so what's, what's your take on or sense of what the current situation is and, and how they're trying to cope with it? Well, the Cubans are under a lot of duress, uh, an intensified economic war on top of uh, a 60-year blockade that precedes the Trump administration, um, amplified by uh, linking them uh, to Venezuela and to Nicaragua as um, a target of the Trump-Pompeo uh, regime change State Department uh, that's um, put out a bounty on um, the Venezuelan president, uh, which is an indicator of how intense they are in this uh, advanced attack on Cuba because they allege that Cuba really is the, the key link. So they are under a lot of external duress. Uh, however, the Cubans um, are people that have learned and a government that has learned to persevere over 60 years of a U.S. blockade uh, with very little internal natural resources, uh, nickel, um, tobacco, not being of high exchange on the world markets. But what is um, sort of hidden in plain sight, if you will, uh, from perspectives of uh, people in the West and other countries uh, throughout the Americas and the Caribbean, is that the Cubans have very, very strong international ties uh, with South Af the BRIC countries, for example, up until recently with, with Brazil under Bolsonaro, who on the one hand broke relations and expelled Cuban medical personnel, 
and then had to uh, make an accommodation uh, because they are the country in most crisis uh, in this COVID-19 plague and therefore they had to resort to uh, back to Cuban doctors. But Cuba has established very strong ties with, with Russia, uh, with China, um, with Malaysia, countries that have been expert in uh, oil drilling and, and the like, and with the Southeast Asian countries, uh, particularly as a link um, through, uh, through China. Uh, the Cubans are now setting up a biopark uh, in the southern part of China, uh, an, an international medical uh, park, uh, which will uh, deal with the various advanced uh, medicines against uh, disease and diabetes and um, cardiovascular developments that uh, Cuba has been so uh, disciplined and productive uh, in the last 60 years of producing. And that uh, is not very well known uh, because uh, there is another kind of blockade, blockade the, the generalized mass media blockade, particularly the liberal media in countries like the United States. They, uh, when you look at the mortality rates per capita, uh, Canada is the uh, is of, of the best, is the sixth. Uh, United States mortality rates are quite high; they're number ten. Uh, Cuba's number two, one of the lowest actual per capita morbidity rates from COVID nineteen in the yeah, world. Yeah, they've had something um, like about eighteen hundred and fifty, forty five cases, something like that. And they've been able to abate um, most of those, I think, with just under 400, around a little over 400 still uh, active, uh, including critical cases. And I think somewhere just under 80 or so uh, deaths. So, you know, Cuba's um, preventive health uh, social ethic um, is very well institutionalized. Uh, in its governance system and in um, a very proactive way uh, with its uh, civil medical personnel uh, that live in neighborhoods. Uh, right now, uh, doctors are going with Cuban uh, medical students literally door to door, knocking on doors to tests. They are doubling down on the tests. So despite the fact that they have done very well in a preventive sense and in, and in a curative sense um, with um, one of their medications that the Chinese right away worked with them to bring in this interferon, uh, which has been successful in viral diseases of SARS and Ebola uh, and, and um, the like. Um, they nevertheless, I was just reading today that they are um, very insistent that they cannot relax, that they are not satisfied, uh, that they must continue uh, to improve their preventive practice. And uh, that's both in terms of their medical institutions as well as the proactivity on the part of their citizens of, of wearing masks, uh, not conjugating, uh, uh, congregating in public spaces and uh, basic things like washing of hands. So even with its uh, uh, crisis of the embargo and minimal resources coming in, uh, they have been very disciplined in establishing um, sanitary um, access to all workplaces, 
and commercial places uh, to make sure that people can keep their hands clean. So it, it right. really is an extraordinary example uh, in a world that's in crisis and that has been convened and revealed to be in crisis by this COVID-19 plague. Well, part of this, uh, you said, blockade on communications, uh, the lack of coverage of this uh, drug that they've developed, it's called interferon alpha 2b. Um, this, it, it shows definite promise. Uh, one of the uh, tests they did at a hospital in Cuba where they gave nose drops of interferon alpha 2b, uh, and apparently none of the medical staff got infected in that hospital. Uh, that's not yet the kind of testing it would take to be convinced that this works. On the other hand, it wasn't hardly a news story. I found one Reuters report that talked about it. And in fact, the Financial Post in Canada picked it up. Um, but almost nothing in the United States talking about this, whereas every kind of uh, wacky idea out there uh, gets all kind of coverage, especially, of course, from, from Trump. But if, it, if it's coming from Cuba, they don't want to talk about it. No, not, they definitely don't want to talk about it. I mean, you know, Cuba has been working with uh, alpha-2 uh, interferon for more than about 40 years. Um, it has been quite successful in, in, in combating uh, other coronavirus uh, expressions. And the Chinese went right away to the Cubans. Uh, you know, 45 nations have requested Cuban medics to come into their country and to bring uh, their medications. And these are some of the most developed countries in the world, Spain, um, uh, France, uh, not just uh, underdeveloped countries. But the, this blockade, both on the part of the rapid, vulgar uh, Trump administration, but also the liberal press, um, which has not said one word about uh, Cuba's offer to be of assistance to the United States, and, um, and, and what this development is in Cuba. Um, they have been relatively even quiet about the State Department um, criticizing uh, Cuban voluntary doctors around the world as being somehow, quote unquote, enslaved. Um, and, and so th this, this, this blockade really goes not just with the right wing extremists, but also with um, the liberal press as well. This report uh, about the interferon uh, use, there was this one test in a Cuban hospital, but this Reuters report's not bad because Reuters reports that in China, of 3,000 healthcare workers who used interferon nose drops, none became infected, uh, and 500 of those 300 people had high exposure to infected patients. Uh, Reuters says they've actually reviewed the report themselves and it's not peer reviewed. It's not in a medical journal. So, I mean, you know, it's not definitive by any means, but it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Something like this doesn't become a major story, except obviously for the obvious reasons that anything to do with Cuba that's positive, they won't talk about. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just goes to show how diluted, um, we are across the ideological and political, um, spectrum in mainstream U.S., mainstream Canada, uh, most Western countries uh, who are uh, self-indulged and arrogant. And in the case of the United States and Germany and other uh, major powers, uh, what this uh, epidemic has revealed is an unpreparedness, uh, a uh, ethical dilemma of 
the market over health uh, and a rush to commodify in the case of the United States with Donald Trump and these pharmaceutical companies, a, a, a possible uh, uh, vaccine. Uh, and again, so Cuba then emerges in this morass as being um, exemplary by dint of its historical experience um, and its preparedness and by its uh, international solidarity uh, ethic, which explicitly says, despite uh, ideological and political differences or even economic warfare against us, uh, humanity at large is under threat. And we must put that um, at least temporarily aside uh, and try to help humankind uh, sustain itself. And of course, this has been the call of the UN. It's been the call of uh, the European Parliament as, as well. And now there is a campaign afoot in the United States and across Latin America and uh, in Europe uh, to uh, recognize Cuba with a Nobel Prize award for its contribution to, to uh, humanity. But yet we still have a huge um, embargo, a huge blockade in the liberal media uh, to inform people that in the case of the United States, just 90 miles away, there is a willing uh, source uh, both of people and medications that might help us um, contain. Uh, and it would be easy to help the United States because Donald Trump has been so explicitly anti a national strategy. Uh, his concern is, is his election. And in the case of of Germany and France and many of the European countries, uh, notwithstanding that they're well-healed, uh, uh, thought to be well-healed medical institutions, uh, they were neither politically astute um, or organizationally prepared uh, to deal with uh, what has happened. And so while the U.S. is blaming China, really the, the infections came not through the way of China to the United States, they came through Western Europe. The uh, liberal media, as you talk about, continues this sort of antagonistic attitude towards Cuba. But the Obama administration was moving towards dropping sanctions, normalizing relations. Um, Biden apparently supported all of that. Um, and now they're right back into the same kind of antagonistic uh, positioning. I mean, it's just about Florida politics. Well, it's... It's a little more than just about uh, Florida politics. It's a deeply ingrained uh, ethos, uh, imperial arrogance, uh, American exceptionalism um, that both Democrats and Republican establishment uh, political leaders, as well as many of their ordinary uh, uh, citizen membership, you know, drank the Kool-Aid that somehow this is the exceptional place on the planet. Uh, it is not, there's nothing comparable to it. However, now that's being revealed that that simply is not the case. And so while it has a pragmatic immediate uh, implication for Florida politics, it goes much, much deeper than that. And part of that narrative that I think needs to be reconstructed is that Obama did not do this in and of his own individual realm or that of his administration, <laughs> that there was another partner 
uh, who, uh, whose country has historically set a context that they were willing to talk about any issue that the United States wanted to talk about, any criticism the United States wanted to raise, uh, one with uh, two conditions. One is that it be done respectfully, and secondly, that there be no conditions. And so that Raul Castro, uh, who is now uh, head of the Communist Party, at that time he was president of the country, uh, was the other figurative interlocutor between the two countries uh, to move towards uh, normalization. I think in the case of Biden, um, who some would like to, who some do describe as a kind of soft imperialist, uh, that's easy to do when one looks at the, the vulgar, uh, irrational extremism of Donald Trump. So it's easy to make um, light comparisons or more favorable comparisons with almost any other politician, including many other right-wing politicians. But I think in the case of Biden vis-a-vis uh, -vis Cuba, uh, he is going to have to face another challenge, and that is the leverage of social democracy among the voting population in the United States as reflected in the Bernie Sanders campaign, but also in um, uh, the uh, Alexandra uh, Cortez uh, and other of these, uh, particularly women and women of color, who are de facto um, social democrats in their policy and uh, who have shown a willingness to depart from the standard fare of, of, of U.S. international policy. And so Biden has been now forced to recognize that as an electoral force, as an ideological context for a new electoral uh, motion in the United States. And so with regard to Cuba, uh, it will be interesting to see to what extent uh, these sort of new progressives that have been elected in the U.S. Congress and are, are part of Biden's campaign. This all presuming <laughs> that he actually emerges as the, as the victor uh, for the White House, if indeed there is an election in November. Yeah, but both actual questions right now, given the potential sex scandal with Biden and uh, knowing who Trump is, any excuse to postpone the election, you would think he would take if he thinks he's going to lose. Which indeed, is indeed. Moment, looks like he will. Let's go back to Cuba for a second or a minute. Um, to what extent is the uh, public free health care system still working in Cuba? I, I know in China they claim they're still get kind of universal health care, but I'm told the truth of it is that if people don't pay doctors more than what the government pays doctors, it's hard to see a doctor. And I'm wondering if that's with the development of more market mechanisms and more private sector development, has it affected the uh, healthcare system in Cuba? To, to really I think indeed it has affected the healthcare system in Cuba and um, it has done so now for a number of, of decades. Um, I remember about 10 years ago, um, my dear friend Danny Glover and I were in Cuba and we had occasion to sit down then with Cuba's leading economist, uh, just the two of us and one of his assistants. We asked for a meeting. Uh, we sat for about three hours to try to understand issues of the economy. And he indicated that Cuba's 
uh, interest in projection was to have biomedical issues become the leading uh, hard currency uh, element in their economy. But of course, uh, the pragmatism of tourism, the ease of tourism, the compromise that they had to make um, dis displaced that. Uh, that meant that um, taking medical personnel and exporting them, in effect, uh, in what some people call uh, Cuba's international diplomacy, Cuba puts it in a larger framework of its international solidarity uh, diplomacy, um, it meant that there were pressures then put on um, communities in Cuba. And so there were some critiques and complaints that healthcare had not been what it was. Now, what has not waned so yes, is the ethics, the philosophy the of a preventive healthcare, of, uh, of the a human economy right and the external economy. Uh, which yes, is I think there is being dramatically closed off to uh, Cuba uh, by these, this economic war sanction uh, policy that is going on from the United States and to some extent from, from, from Europe. Uh, but Cubans are still very proud of the fact that they have produced this exemplary universal health care, notwithstanding uh, the fact that it is now uneven uh, given uh, the way that the economy is being 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 battered. How is Cuba dealing with, I would assume, Venezuela's inability to continue the kind of oil subsidies that were uh, being given previously? I'm, I'm assuming that's the case. I don't actually have any data, but uh, given Venezuela's economic crisis, it's hard to see how much they're, they're able to help Cuba. Well, I read about Cuba daily, and certainly from what I've been reading, uh, yes, it has had a very... Um, dramatic um, negative impact uh, on Cuba. The embargo that the United States has put on ships, uh, including global maritime that might arrive in Cuban ports, uh, bringing oil and the like. But nevertheless, the Cubans uh, seem to have figured out how to continue. Uh, the Russians um, have been one pipeline uh, to them. Uh, I. The Chinese are out trying to find oil for themselves, so I don't know that that has been a source. But yes, they are indeed struggling. But one of the things about Cuba under any circumstance, and certainly uh, with the pressures now put on their medical um, system, is the Cuban Revolution uh, over 60 years has instilled an extraordinary degree of national pride, even among people who may not be socialists, who may have critiques. There is a very strong nationalism and uh, it feeds the spirit, literally, and it eases the pain of the belly, literally. I mean, they went through a period with the fall of the Soviet Union where across sectors, you know, people lost weight and it was hard to find pencils and paper and toilet paper and things of that sort. Uh, but through that sense of nationalism, uh, that sense of sovereignty and independence and self-determination, uh, that the Cuban Socialist Revolution has instilled across the board. Again, notwithstanding uh, critiques, uh, Cuba is a place, in my view, of extraordinary amount of self-critical reflection, uh, both in the general population, the Communist Party, and in the government, not as uh, uh, three distinct triads, uh, because they all come out of same households, if you will. There are you no know, sort of like Communist Party households or 
government households and then civil society. It is a very mixed proposition. Uh, and there is a lot of critique, which is refreshing because they've had to open up very publicly the question of democracy and decentralization. And so this is a broader context in which uh, uh, these brigades, uh, the 1500 uh, person uh, International Medical Brigade, the Henry Reeves Brigade. Um, with, you know, Henry Reeves was ironically a, uh, a U.S. citizen who fought uh, in the Cuban War of Independence and because of his heroic efforts, um, this International Solidarity Medical Brigade is named, named after him. But yes, Cubans are in the, under great, great pressure, uh, but their, their pride and their efficiency in planning as best they can has not waned. In terms of the UN call for the United States to drop sanctions against Cuba, how, how, are, how are other countries responding to that? Is there international support for that? There indeed is international support. Uh, it reflects what has gone on now for well, perhaps over a decade, that the great majority of the countries in the United Nations vote every year to get rid of this blockade. I think the United, United States, uh, the uh, apartheid occupying um, human rights violator of is the Israeli government and half of its citizens who vote for it. And um, a few territories, one or two territories somewhere in the Pacific. You know, so there are three or four countries. What is different because of this global uh, pandemic uh, has convened uh, everybody looking more or less to the same optic is uh, that the call to get rid of this blockade has been amplified and practical implications of that beyond sort of the philosophy of the protocols of nation is more evident now than ever for the rest of the world. Uh, but the United States is, let's be clear, is a rogue nation. It is the... Um, most uh, outstanding rogue nation that disregards and criticizes and dismisses uh, the United Nations. And it has gone to another level of extremism uh, with Donald Trump and pulling out of places like the World Health Organization, pulling out of UNESCO as the United States and the Brits did in the, in the 70s and the, the new information order. So um, the United States is being more and more isolated and um, one would hope, and I certainly would think that if a, the Democratic Party retained, uh, takes back the White House, uh, we will see more cooperation, particularly on the issues like um, Iran and global, um, the global environmental issues, and certainly around the issue of Cuba. But it will be incumbent on uh, liberal and progressive citizens and moderate Republicans in the United States who are very interested in Cuba, in the case of Amy Klobuchar, for example, state of Minnesota, uh, they want to do trade with Cuba. Um, Louisiana and countries, uh, states around the Mississippi who produce agricultural products, they want to trade with Cuba and uh, they have in the past traded with Cuba. So I, I think that Cuba may be in a better position of re, uh, reigniting and advancing uh, some slow and winding steps towards normalization of relations with the U.S. But we must be mindful uh, that Joe Biden uh, is an old war horse 
uh, of an era of imperialism, and he has already qualified his motion, potential motion around Cuba uh, with the factor of Venezuela, uh, saying, you know, he embraces uh, this puppet Guaido as the quote-unquote legitimate president of Venezuela and has said that, yes, while he would pick up the Obama policy around Cuba, uh, it would be qualified by Cuba's relationship with uh, Venezuela. And of course, I, the Cubans, this is a context that they are prepared to deal with, and I think they, would, they will feel very invited uh, to fight that battle. All right. Thanks very much for joining us, James. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news podcast.